Ryan, and we're back for another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please, 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 please give us that five star review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you can like, subscribe, just follow us, uh, do whatever you can to support us. Whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, it is truly appreciated. Well, at least we had one good game tonight. I knew our streak would end sometime. So our streak did end tonight uh, for day 15 of the NBA playoffs. But we did have one sensational ending again that we'll talk about here in a minute. Plus, we'll also talk about a Hall of Fame player going to become a new coach for the Brooklyn Nets. And also as well, we'll preview the Lakers and the Rockets coming up. And of course, we'll also touch on the Clippers and Denver. But I've got two great guests to start off with. Uh, first off, someone I'm very, very thankful for being here. Uh, he is the awesome producer and incorporator of the NBA Draft Junkies. you got to go ahead and check out NBA Draft Junkies. If you are at all interested in the NBA Draft Check out his mock drafts. Check out what he's got going on with his two podcasts, NBA Draft Junkies and the Run the Floor podcast. Just everything there, NBA Draft Junkies, where you've got so many, so many, so many, so many profiles on YouTube right now waiting for you. It is NBA Draft Junkies and my good friend, who, again, I am very thankful for reasons which he has already described on social media. It is Rafael Barlow, and thanks, man. I just... I, you know, I said, I, I left it up to you if you wanted to join us today. Uh, you had a very emotional day. I'm just, again, very thankful that you're here with us now. It wasn't, it, it wasn't that emotional. Well, it I was mean, for, for me reading it, that's for sure. Yeah, for those that uh, are trying to figure it out, I was riding a bike. And um, when I was uh, riding my bike, I uh, I was passing by an area where there were like these these ducks right and so i saw like it looked like an ambulance and when i saw when i rode past it i noticed that it was like a animal patrol so it was this animal rescue so i guess making sure that none of the cars hit these hit these ducks that were crossing the street going from one pond to another pond so when i passed it um, i look behind me and i see um a, a police officer and he has his lights flashing so I'm thinking that he's going to see the, you know, he's going to assist the the ducks or whatever. And I keep riding for about 20 seconds. I look behind me and he's still behind me with the lights flashing. And then uh, I uh, keep going like, surely he's not about to pull me over on the street. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, he pulled me over, just asked me, where was I going? Where did I live? How long had I been riding? Why was I sweating so hard? Um, asked me for my ID. And then I, I actually told him, I said, I don't have any ID on me. But he asked me for my birthday, so I gave him my birthday. And, and my first and last name, then he went to the car. And while he went to the car, uh, I saw a man. He was hiding behind some bushes. And I don't know if he came out of his office or he was driving and pulled over. But he went and he started filming, and then he kind of gave me the nod, like, I'm, I'm filming. I, I, you're okay. So when the officer came out, he asked me, had I had a ticket before? I said, yeah, it's like six years ago. He asked me the where it was at, um, how long ago was it, what was the ticket for? And I told him, and then he says, I'm going to let you go with a warning this time. And so I got this little sheet of paper. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a... Uh, basically a a complimented complaint and it just lets me know I received a verbal warning for violation of a city ordinance. Which was what? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't found out yet. So uh and that was it. So, you know. I'll I'll let our audience out there fill in the blank on what that might be. So uh, I just again I'm I'm appalled uh, but I'm not surprised. Uh, just again, from what we've talked about here, what what uh, the very reasons why the players in the NBA are fighting the systemic racism, uh, and it just shines again one more example of law enforcement. Uh, just you know, 
just disappointing us uh, again and again. And just, it's not that hard to just say, hey, uh, just here's what went wrong or here's what you might've been doing wrong. Please just be careful and send you on your way. That's it. That's it. Didn't have to give you the third degree. Didn't have to go ahead and and and, and do all the things to do. But again, it speaks to a larger issue and a larger problem. So I'm just thankful that you're here, my friend. I don't. I'm thankful that it did not get worse, and I'm thankful that uh, there was someone there that was uh, ready to go ahead and and film it all and 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 give you some type of. Uh, I don't want to say security blanket because obviously that mm-hmm. didn't help others. But at least some way to document uh, to make sure that it it wasn't going to go down even worse. Yeah, it's just a matter of you know not letting it escalate. So if I had like a quick temper or a different demeanor, then maybe it could have been an, another situation. But you know, whatever questions he did ask, whether he had the right to ask him or not, I still just answered him with respect and and just you know don't want to make the situation. Because I think that's when it gets out of hand when, you know, you, you fight or, or resist. And even though you may feel like you have every right to, it's just a matter of just trying to stay calm. And especially if you don't really have anything that um, you should be worried about. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's been going on for a while. It's just filmed now. And luckily, um, the footage was a throwaway as opposed to being something that ends up going viral or whatever. So I'm okay. I mean, it was just one of those things where it hadn't happened to me in a, in a, in a long time. And it, it just luckily it was just nothing, nothing out of it, just an inconvenience to my day. Well, the inconvenience it was indeed, but again, speaks to larger issues at hand and, and exactly why, you know, out there, we need to go ahead and continue this fight against systemic racism, wherever it may be. Plus also choose to vote, please register to vote if you haven't already and choose to vote uh, if you can. It is truly appreciated and go ahead and make those choices to make a better world for ourselves. And so we can have, stop, you know, dealing with this type of issue continuously, but I know it's not going to go away anytime soon, but at least we can start taking steps in the right direction. And then Maybe. there's, <laughs> well, and then there's Laker Tom. Okay. This is the guy behind the great site, Lakerholics.com. Got to go ahead and be part of that conversation today. Lakerholics.com and Raphael and I were commenting on some of the things that <laughs> Laker Tom was uh, crazy. Tom was back. Crazy GM. Tom was back uh, trying to get, uh, well, I'll just put it this way. He was trying to trade Chris Ball onto the Lakers. His his spirit is good. His intentions are, are noble. But my <laughs> gosh, man, stick us with Chris Ball for three years on a $45 million contract on the back end. Two years. Is it two or three? Two years left after this year. So two years he would stick us with a $45 million. Yeah. All right. But it is Laker Tom. Laker Tom, I'm glad to have you here, my friend. You, you and I just go back on Twitter. We go back and forth on LakerHollies.com. So if you really want to be part of our musing conversations, go right there. But great to have you here as well, Laker Tom. I'll start off with you on tonight's game. First one. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead with the quick one. And that's the LA Clippers against Denver. Uh, they won handily tonight and they won 120 to 97. It was a very fatigued Denver team coming over a grueling seven-game, you know, uh, series victory over Utah. We saw how close that series was. We saw how tough that series was. And obviously, Denver, at this point in time, did not have the energy to match up to the Clippers today. Yeah, you sort of expected that, Gerald, after you saw these guys have a shootout for six games and then – play an 80 to 78 game for the seventh game. So, uh, you know, and the Clippers are good. You know, I mean, I've always felt that the the Western conference playoffs were going to be the Western conference finals. We're going to be between the Lakers and the Clippers. And that would be essentially the NBA championship would be determined by that matchup. Um, Kawhi, Kawhi is just basically unstoppable. He gets to where he wants to get to in the paint and elevates and, and and puts down those mid-range shots with such a high percentage that it's, you know, you, you either have to have a, a team that has some really great defenders on it to be able to stay stay with these guys. And, and unfortunately, 
that's not the Denver Nuggets. They just don't have, just don't have the defense to do that. And, and, and going up against the Clippers with, uh, with PG and Kawhi, not the same thing as going up against the Utah Jazz. No, so, no. But you know, that, I had I had uh, I had a, a five game series for both of the for the Lakers and the Clippers, um, and after watching that first game, they both both of those teams may be in real danger of getting swept. Um, you can't take you know you can't realize how tough it was for both of those teams to go through that seven game series and then have to come out of it and you have to come out of it and play the Clippers. It's, it's going to be a very tough route for them to run. Well, it is going to be a very tough matchup for Denver as we go forward. Once they do catch their breath, Raphael, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a say, you're probably not going to say too much differently at this point in time, because again, it looked like to me a very fatigued team going up against a fresh Clippers team and, that's going to be the problem going forward is is can anyone defend Kawhi and give him any kind of problems? Yeah, he's a matchup nightmare. I tweeted that he's playing the best basketball of his career. It just doesn't seem like he's missing. You put a, a bigger player on him, he still gets to where he wants to go. And if you put a, a weaker defender on him, he's just playing efficient bully basketball. Yeah. No extra dribbles. Nothing flashy, just gets to where he wants to go, and and you, you, you can't stop him. And like Laker Tom said, you need good defense, and uh, Denver just doesn't have an answer for him. Exactly. And this series could get ugly fast. I mean, yeah. it, it could be a sweep. And I, I felt like Denver would have been a better matchup than Utah, but uh, after today, it looked like it wouldn't have mattered if either one of those, if they combine their rosters, it still might not have been enough. Exactly. So it, it game two, I think is going to be the term uh, whether or not that Denver can provide any fight for the series. Same thing with Houston. Cause I think the Lakers will take game one just because of those very same reasons. But again, it, it just, it's something I can do right now that I'll say that if the Lakers don't come out flat, then it could be quite ugly as well. But again, it's a situation where we assume things with the Lakers and they kind of throw a curveball in the way, whether they come out flat after a long rest or they just don't don't have that type of energy that they need. Uh, Laker Tom, before we go ahead and into the other game, which was a miraculous game uh, as far as it's concerned, we'll just go ahead and touch a little bit more on the Lakers and Rockets. You have the Lakers in, in five. So in order to do that, they need to set a good impression game one, and they need to have that energy. They should have it, but the question is, will their issues as far as what they had to deal with with Rockets during the course of the season, will that come to play, or do you think they now have, let's say, a good solid plan on how to attack the Houston offense? Well, I hope they do, Gerald. Um, I've always been a little concerned with the adjustments that Frank Vogel's made. I actually wrote an apology article on Frank the other day for Lakerholics.com um, where I basically said that, you know, he did a fabulous job after eight struggles in the bubble games and then uh, a poor first round opening matchup. Uh, the Lakers swept through four straight games and the stars of those four straight games were the starting lineup. They had the best plus minuses and the best net ratings of any of the players on the Lakers, all five of them, including JaVale McGee, KCP and Danny Green, whom uh, I pretty well much ravaged because of how they were playing terrible and they had the worst statistics on the team. Those three players did in the eight bubble games in the first playoff game. Um, like Frank promised, the shots fell and the Lakers just dominated. And a good portion of that was also because LeBron and AD really, really came out and played like playoff LeBron and playoff AD. Um, it's an interesting situation for the Clippers, or I mean for the Rockets, because I don't think that, I, I can't imagine Harden playing that poorly again. Um, although he tends to sometimes disappear, and he turned himself into a playmaker in that game because he lost so much confidence in his shot. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I gave them one game just because I think that there's a point in time when 
Harden will get hot and he'll be unstoppable. He's that good of a scorer. You know, he led the league in scoring several years now in a row. And uh, and at his best, he's unstoppable. And, and they did beat the Lakers two out of three games in the regular season. Um, there's a lot of discussion on exactly, you know, we'll get into this later in the podcast, I'm sure, of exactly how are the Lakers going to stop him. But uh, I, th- I think it's just the same cases you have with the Clippers and, and, the, and the Nuggets that uh, the Rockets just don't have the personnel to beat the Lakers. The Lakers can the Lakers can actually go out there and play small ball against the Rockets and essentially have a height advantage at every one of the positions. Um, so you know when you that it's going to be a hard hard road for them to hold. There's a few traps that the Lakers have to be careful of doing falling into, but uh, I, I think that. Even if Rogel doesn't make any adjustments, even if he goes out there and, and doesn't play uh, AD and Morris at center for 50% of the time, which is what he did when we beat the Clippers and the Bucks back in March, even if he doesn't do that and he tries to play 30% of the time and really go out there and put Dwight Howard out on the floor and put JaVale McGee out on the floor and try to pound him, or if he goes even with small ball and puts 80 in, in the center rather than playing five out, the talent is still so much, there's such a differential in the talent that I think that the Lakers will dominate the Rockets and win the series in five. Well, let's get into it right now. Uh, so, Raphael, uh, your thoughts on the series between the Lakers and the Rockets. Uh, I, I have it in six, personally. Uh, I think that the Rockets will give uh, the Lakers a little bit more trouble than uh, most would expect, but I do expect them to go ahead and win game one just because of the same things we saw tonight with Denver and the Clippers. So I ask you, my friend, I want to hear your thoughts right now on this series and your prediction as far as the outcome of what it will end up being. I haven't made a prediction yet. I um, This is the series that... I, I've been winning. This is the series that I wanted to see. Actually, probably more than the the Lakers Clippers because it's just a, a different contrast in styles. I think that the guys in Houston, from the front office to the coach to the players, are out to prove that our style works. And obviously, the Lakers have you know a goal of, of winning a championship. And this. Uh, Everything that, even though it's not the NBA Finals or the Western Conference Championship, but every move Houston made was to, you know, this is to to get by the Lakers, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think the Lakers were the favorite, and if AD is guarding a center that doesn't stretch the floor, then you allow him to shut down your whole offense. But now, if you put him in a situation to where he has to defend a guy that's shooting corner threes or guard Westbrook and Harden in space, then it may possibly um, limit how effective he is on the defensive end. So I feel like everything that Houston did was for this matchup. And it's going to be tough to beat the Lakers four times in seven games. And I know, like, on one hand, you can say the regular season doesn't matter in this bubble slash playoffs. But the last time that they played, I I thought that was a great game. And I thought that the Rockets gave the Lakers some trouble with um, AD having the guard Russ on the perimeter. And Russ was just attacking him on straight line drives. I think we'll see a better Russell Westbrook than we saw in this series. So as far as like kind of judging Houston in a seven game series, they did play four games without without Westbrook, and he um, I don't know how did he play go like two weeks without playing or something like that. I'm not for sure how it was. So I think you see a a better version, and I, I I definitely think Harden is glad to get away from Lugans Dort. I don't know if the Lakers have anyone that can defend him like that unless they put LeBron on him every play. Which I, I, you know, I don't see that happening at all. Absolutely, but I don't. Just, I'll see it occasionally, but I don't see. I won't see. I don't think you'll see it. You know, on yeah. every play, like you're talking about. And if they, I mean, like the Rockets don't have really good shooters. They just take a lot of, you know, their volume 
alone is what gets them a lot of threes. Um, Eric Gordon has to play better. He hasn't looked good. But then you can also say the same for Danny Green. If he shows up and Eric Gordon doesn't, it can go. It can you know, it can be tough for for um, for Houston without Gordon playing. But like I said, it's going to be tough to beat the Lakers in seven games. And uh, yeah, I mean they have to be the favorite at this point. Well, there you go. Those are the thoughts of Laker Tom and Rafael Barlow on the upcoming Lakers and Rockets series. Laker Tom, any last thoughts on the series before we head over to Toronto and Boston and also Steve Nash heading to Brooklyn? Yeah, I think the uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what I'm really looking for. You know, in a in a way, I kind of agree with Rafael that this is a series that I've been looking forward to, and I'd actually written an article well ahead of time. Spent a lot of time on it. And then uh, Oklahoma City came back, and all of a sudden I was worried that I'd wasted all of this time because the Rockets were going to get upset. So I cheated a little bit, and I posted it early just in order to make sure that I didn't totally waste my time on it and uh, just moved it up to the top of the blog now that uh, the Rockets came through at the end. Um, I have to admit that I was rooting for Oklahoma City to beat them, um, primarily because I've, I've, I've always rooted against the Rockets. Uh, okay, I was going to say, you, don't, you, you want the harder path, right? <laughs> um, you know, you always I, say I, you do. You always say you do. <laughs> I, I think that that's one of the beauties of this particular situation is that the Lakers, the Lakers have a tendency to be lazy, and they have a tendency to be overconfident. And one good way to not have that happen is to have somebody come out and give you. A, you know, give you a great game and, and take the first game from you and so forth. And so um, I wanted the best challenge. I don't want any asterisks on, on this winning this championship. Um, and also, too, I and I've made this point on Lakerholics.com over and over. The regular season is not at all like the playoffs. This is a whole different game. It's not like one-offs where you don't, you don't plan and, and scheme for the team and you don't make game-to-game adjustments like you do in the playoffs. And Frank Bogle has not made any adjustments so far in the playoffs. Uh, he's running it. He's running it out the same way he ran it out during the regular season. And in fact, he's even playing less uh, small ball with AD and Morris at the five than he did during the regular season. And so I think it's really critically important for the Lakers to understand that why they beat the Bucks and why they beat the Clippers in those March matchup when they took them in the back-to-back games over the weekend was because they played 50% of the time with Morris or AD at the five. At the five. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's really when they become much a better team. That's when they really prevent teams like the Bucks and the Clippers who do this drop coverage and like to just cloud up the middle and, and force you to shoot three points and force you to shoot from outside. I want to I see them play small ball and play five out so that Instead of four out with AD down in the middle, I want to see them spread the floor and then try to stop LeBron and AD from attacking the basket. Um, because that's what they're going to need when they face the Clippers. That's what they're going to need when they, I used to say when they place the Bucks, but that may not be the, it may not be the Bucks. It may be the Heat. Um, but anyway, the Heat does the same thing. They're going to wall up. They're going to wall up uh, the and defense. And so I think it's important that you play the best teams. Uh, the best championship Lakers teams in history have been teams that had great competitors and great protagonists that they had to surpass in order to get there. And I think that's a critical part of being a great championship team. You need somebody to challenge you and bring out the best in your team. And I'm hoping the Rockets will do that. Um, I frankly wish that they had not gotten so exhausted and had played so poorly. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. So the Lakers are going to go in with a big advantage because of being rested and, and the Rockets being exhausted mentally and physically, you know, that's probably going to cost them a game. Um, but I think that the Rockets, uh, you know, like Raphael said, this is, this is, this is the classic matchup. They, Maury, Maury and, and Dan Tony have gone all in on small ball. I mean, that's one point. The Lakers can't go out there and put their big guys on the court and force the Rockets to play big because the Rockets don't have the ability to play big. 
They don't have the players to play big. They only got players to play small. So you're not going to change. You're not going to put impose your will on them and change them how they're going to play. They're going to cast out 45 threes every game and, and maybe 50 against the Lakers. So this is a, this is a great test to see whether Frank Vogel makes the adjustments. Now he's, he's alluded and hinted that, boy, we've got a, a bag of tricks ready for the Rockets offense. And I, and, and, and I think, I, I really do think he's going to do a lot of things. I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a triangle two and a box and one. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him mixing in zones and, and double teaming a lot and throwing different players. I think LeBron will get his shot at it at various times, but I think we'll see a lot of Kuzma and a lot of Danny Green uh, on Harden. Um, I definitely, there was a great discussion. Uh, Mike Trudell had, uh, had a podcast today with uh, a bunch of three other guys, and they talked a lot about whether or not the Lakers are going to leave those guys in the corner or whether they're going to rotate. Um, I happen to be a big proponent for staying with those guys in the corner, especially especially Gordon in the corner, you know. Um, so I think Tucker he, lives they there. They put Gordon in the corner. It won't be AD guarding him. They'll put somebody else over there to guard him, and I think they're going to stick with the guys in the corner. Uh, force, them, force them to shoot threes, but, but cut off the two things that are the lifeblood, which are the layups by having AD in the middle and the corner threes, which are the killers. E.J. Tucker but, lives yeah. over there. Pardon? E.J. Tucker lives on the corners. Yeah, you don't want to give him those corner threes. I, I wouldn't help off of the corners. I think that's got to be the number one rule in this series. Oof. You play three against three. Oof. And that's where I think um, they're, they're going to make A.D. decide. I think if when Kuzma's in, I think they're going to hunt him every play with Westbrook or Harden. I think they're going to look for switches. And even though he's improved defensively and he's, you know, making better efforts, I think he's still the one that when he's in the game, they're going to attack. And if he struggles, then if you get him in foul trouble or he's a liability on the, on the defensive end, then you kind of weaken the Lakers a little bit. Even though I feel like he didn't really hurt Portland in, in that series, it was all LeBron and AD. He wasn't like the consistent third scorer that – that uh, they would have needed, but they didn't need him to be. I think in this series, he he might be the key because he has to be able to make sure that they can keep him on the floor for and not get exposed defensively. But I think in this series is going to be high scoring, and they're going to need him to to be that third guy. I actually think the complete opposite. I think Kuzma is. Kuzma does a better job than any of the Laker guards do that we currently have on the roster at staying in front of his man and being able to recover because of his length uh, and mm-hmm. his quickness. He's very quick on his feet. Uh, I think I think that the guys that they're going to hunt are going to be KCP uh, and Danny Green because Green just can't stay in front of guys. Um, the other side of it, too, is that you have to realize that you're, when you're playing the Rockets, you're really playing five linebackers. You know, they, they don't have defensive backs out there. They got linebackers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, trying to move Tucker out of the middle. He, he's 245 pounds, and he's built low to the ground. So it's it's really hard for guys. Uh, I think that's where Kuzma can can be beaten defensively because if, if you get body on him, uh, it's something he's up on the top of his toes all the time. You get his body on him with his height and length and lack of weight, and you can push him back. But he'll do a good job staying in front of him, and I don't think he's the guy that's going to hunt. Um, Westbrook Westbrook will definitely play better. He was, you know, coming off of an inactive period. Um, and he's a little bit of a wild card if he starts hitting from outside, you know. Which um, I don't I don't see happening. <laughs> so. He's capable of being streaky like that. And and frankly, no matter how bad his shooting is, he's willing to hoist those shots up, you know. I think if they take a page out of the Thunders playbook on defense, because Westbrook and Harden really didn't kill them last game getting to the basket. Adams did a good job of plugging the lane. I mean, if you remember like the last few possessions, Westbrook missed like three laps because he didn't have good angles. Which AD is a better defender than Stephen Adams. So I think if I'm Houston, that would concern me. 
And then also, if Harden has the ball, Westbrook has to cut. He has to find ways to just kind of find holes in the middle. Because, I mean, I saw possessions yesterday where Harden had the ball, Schroeder was guarding Westbrook, and he was all the – I mean, he had almost two feet in the paint because he didn't respect Westbrook's shot. But the key is making sure that if you're going to play that far off Westbrook, that you don't give him like a launching pad in a sense and allow him to catch the ball and have a, a running start because that's all he needs. But he can get out of control in those situations. So it's I think for a guy like um, Caruso, he'll be waiting. Like I can see Caruso sagging off a hard and kind of playing in the middle, Westbrook catching the ball with – five feet ahead of him making a hard straight line drive and Caruso getting a few charges that, that could hurt, hurt the Rockets. So Houston is just going to have to play out of their mind. They're going to have to shoot the ball better. And what I want to see is how the Lakers use AD on offense. Are you going to force feed him and try to take advantage of the, of his size? And then that's where I think it plays in the Houston's hand. I agree a hundred percent. We are going to find out tomorrow when the series starts between the Rockets and the Lakers. We'll be glad to go ahead and, and report to you each and every day. In fact, tomorrow night, we'll have another podcast available for you. The Lakers Fast Break will be live on Facebook, live on YouTube, and live at Lakerholics.com. So you want to check out our conversation then. We'll go ahead and report to you what happens after game one. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. That is by far my favorite because it's also character driven and the stakes are high and there's much more of a mystery and intrigue to it. A game like Wolfenstein, which people are saying are one of the most socially important video games of the past 10 years. Catch our shows on radio worldwide seven days a week or at any time on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on over 30 more podcast outlets. Hey Lakers fans, looking for the best place to go for up-to-date news, information, original videos, articles, podcasts, opinion pieces, and discussions about the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, look no further than Lakerholics.com. With a legion of followers always there talking about everything Lakers and the NBA, there's no better place to go to share your fandom as the team heads toward another championship run. So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. There was still another game played on tonight's schedule, and that was Toronto and Boston. And another nail-biter. And not even Taco Fall could actually intercept probably one of the best passes or best inbound passes I have ever seen from Kyle Lowry to OG Ananobi, who hits the game-winning three-pointer. We have just... No more time left on the clock. The game was over. I'm sorry? Point one when he lost it. Yeah, point one. Point one and game over for Boston. They had the lead. They had the chance to go up 3-0. They controlled most of the game, but Toronto came out on on top 104-103. And Raphael, outside of the amazing pass that Kyle Lowry gave over 7'5 taco fall to OG and Anobi, there and and the lackluster defense that was played on that play, I cannot believe that they left OG Ananobi that wide open. But regardless, I want to hear your keys for why Toronto was able to go ahead and pull out the victory today. Well, one of the things is that OG was wide open, but that was a hell of a closeout by Jalen Brown. It was a matter of, I mean, inches. just inches. He covered. He, I don't, I don't understand how OG was that wide open. I know, I think Gasol set a good screen, but it just shows like how great of an athlete these guys are, and how little time you have to get off a good shot because it could have been like Harden and Dort all over again. It was just a matter of inches. It could have been three zero, 
<laughs> so, well, why aren't you um, guarding thought, the paint more if you're Boston? Why why aren't you doing a better job of guarding the excuse me not the paint but the three point line? I mean, let them have that two point. Let them have the layup. That's the problem. They zoned, and if you look yeah. at the, from the start, uh, OG came from the far side. He was he was next to the on the ball side of the court, and he came along the baseline all the way over, and nobody covered him all the way. And there was good motion. It was a beautifully designed play because the motion at the top was drew all of the attention. And then all of the defenders, because they were playing zone, nobody was really covering that wide area. Nobody thought that they would throw, you know, a, a Hail Mary pass, basically, that had to be perfectly thrown. Had to be perfect. To a center standing in, the, in a little tiny two-foot spot before the sidelines that he would be able to catch that ball and get it off within 0.5 seconds. Um, it was miraculous, but he was wide open and it was a great close. But, uh, you know, I, I looked at that play over and over. I watched it like three times and watching him come from the far side. And it was, that was, he was the, he was the designated shooter. They were looking, that was a play designed to get OG that shot from the corner. Well, uh, Kyle he, Lowry did show up today and Fred Van Vliet also had a good game. Uh, uh and the, basically the starting lineup for Toronto, uh, Laker Tom, just, Really got the job done today. Their guards, their guards were great, especially when they came back. Uh, you know, Ben Fleet, Ben Fleet just continues to impress me. Uh, that last layup that he made was, and he should have, he was fouled on that layup too. Uh, was sensational in Lowry. I mean, you know, I've, I've always been, I've always hated small guards, but man, those two small guards are are really a couple of tough players, man. I'd well, love either one on the Lakers. Well, <laughs> you want everybody on the Lakers. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started with your other. Uh, you have several proposals for Van Fleet. Van Fleet's an interesting case because he's going to be a free agent next year again, and he's one. And those are the guys that you really have. He could do the same thing that AD did, and force his way out. He's a free agent this summer. Oh, he's actually he's a free agent this summer, but he could mm-hmm. he could uh, he could for this he, fall. <laughs> he could basically say that. In other words, what's great about that is the Lakers can approach him because he's a free agent, so they could make a deal with him where you know uh, we'll do a sign and trade, and uh, and he can basically tell the uh, the Raptors that you know I I'm only going to resign if you trade me to the Lakers, and that will prevent other teams from making the kinds of offers that they would make for him. So the Lakers still have a chance, even though they don't have any cap space and they only have a $9 million MLE. Um, if they can get a player who wants to come to them in that situation, um, it's totally possible. And no way Masai just says, I'm going to take, I'm going <laughs> to, I think Masai would just say, we'll just start from scratch. I'm not going to take on any contracts. Just like you have Chris Paul. On yeah, 21. They got other contractual situations that really are probably more demanding and and they've got some good backups behind him. Well, I think for Toronto, I think they always had like a short-term plan because I mean, their whole front line are free agents. Yeah. And so So they're not going to, they don't want to tie money up in Van Vliet because of that reason. Well, I think they can, I think they still should be able to get him because Lowry's contract would come off and then Gasol, Serge, Boucher, all of those guys are are free agents. And I mean I think Masai is one of the best. I think he's very no, I creative. But I, I think um if not, I I've I think Gobert is their second choice. Well I'll tell you what, it's going to be very interesting to see how Boston plays this out now now that the momentum shifted kind of a bit uh with Toronto on that shot. Will this be the thing that it's Toronto, not only back in the series, but back ahead of Boston. We'll have to wait and see. But this time next week, we could be very amused by how far this series has gone because of one great pass and one great shot. Last year, it was one great four bounce on the ball on a three in the corner from Kawhi that turned everything around. Absolutely. And I was thinking, remember in the finals, they had a shot to win a game. It was Lowry had a corner three, and it was, it may have been a very similar play, but Draymond just got like a pinky on it. And, um, and I think Golden State ended up winning that game. So it's just, it's 
So my question is, and I, and I mean, you guys are probably going to be biased because you're Lakers fans, but is that the best under one second shot since Derek Fisher? Yes. Better than his shot. Was better than his shot because it took a better play, a better pass. And yeah, because better... over seven foot five guy, you could say that absolutely. Because I would agree yeah. with that assessment. Because uh, yeah. just because of how it was done, I would still say that Jalen Brown should have been closer, uh, or at least some Boston defender should have been closer. But still, to make that pass and to make that shot, uh, it was truly incredible. So uh, I'm going was, with Lakers. I thought the play was going to be to the top of the key. Well, Rafael, yeah. I think has got a different. They were running a screen up at the top of the key, and that's what that that activity up there is what. Made him leave the guy alone. Made, in the yeah, yeah. It's like he caught him. It was activity. It was something else that caught him shifting one way, and that yeah. was all all the time they needed. So I'll look at it again to see what like misdirection they ran because that play had to have been executed perfectly. There was yes. zero margin for error, and love that's going to be they actually ran that play in practice ever. You know. Well, did you also? Yeah, that, well, you don't have the seven foot five guy to go ahead and just say, "Hey, come on over," unless well, you have it. That, that pass was that was an alley oop, man. Yes. I mean, it was pretty neat. But you also said, Raphael, that you were leaning towards the Derek Fisher zero point four. No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't have an opinion which one I oh, thought was okay. better. Okay, okay, but I thought that I never factored. I, well, I think Fisher's what was that in the conference finals? Uh, I thought it was the second round. Western Conference Finals, I think. Was it Western Conference or was it the second round? I kind of have a feeling second it wasn't round. The finals, I know that. But against San Antonio, uh, so right. yeah, so it had to be. So yeah, it had to be at least. I don't, I don't know. Finals. But it was later in the series, though, right? Right. I think it was Game Six. Something yeah. Like that. And so that's why I was saying it. Which one? I, I mean, definitely the pass was. <laughs> it took a, a, an incredible pass. But then also I'm thinking like if he misses that, you're down 3-0. And historically you have no shot at that point. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, it was definitely a great shot and an awesome pass. Uh, one of the best uh, last second plays you'll ever see. And it was uh, Toronto coming out on top 104-103 over the Boston Celtics, putting them only down one game. So it's two games to one Boston as they go into four Game four coming up here in a couple of days. So we'll go ahead and keep following that series as well, as well, as well as all the other NBA playoff games coming up each and every day that we cover right here at the Lakers fast break. But before we head on out and before we turn it over to you guys and what you guys are up to with your respective outlets, Steve Nash out of nowhere got surprisingly hired for head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I know some people are really liking it. Some people are really angry about it. And some people are just saying, wow, I didn't know he wanted to be a a head coach. So I want to hear your thoughts. First off, Raphael, I'll turn it over to you. I think it's a great hire. I can understand why Stephen A. Smith, among others, is upset, especially the fact that Jacques Vaughn moves back to the head assistant as far as it's concerned. But this was something out of left field that I know had to get the the basic uh, seal of approval from both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. In my opinion, there's no need to be upset because, and I, I don't even think there's a, a need to even make it a race thing because the same issue wasn't made when Jason Kidd got his job and he had the Nets team that was expected to compete for a championship with Darren Williams and Paul Pearson and Kevin Garnett Derek Fisher got a job with zero experience. Um, and I'm forgetting somebody else maybe that got a job. And I think when Chris Paul decides to retire, if he wants to coach, it'll be the same thing, possibly Rondo. So I don't think it, it should even be considered a, a race thing um, because Kevin Durant, is the one well we don't know this officially but we know that Durant had to approve of the hire so you can't be mad at Sean Marks and then also if you really want to be technical about it Steve Nash is African because he was born in <laughs> he was born in South Africa so they hired an African an African Canadian coach but no I mean I don't know if it's a great hire only time will tell um 
I, I think that uh, it was a bold move. There was an article that Steve Nash had maybe like two years ago. He said family was first, but he wanted to possibly get into coaching and being a general manager. And I think that, you know, like the the insiders, like the Wojas and the Shams and those guys weren't on the end on this one. But I think Nash was going to pick the perfect situation to coach. He wasn't going to take over a rebuilding team, a young team. I think this was kind of like Larry Bird in a sense. When Larry Bird took the Pacers job, he was the coach in title, but Carlisle and, and Harder were the guys that seemed to do all the work. So I don't think it was a, I don't, I don't, I mean, I just think people are making too big of a deal out of it because like I said, the same deal wasn't made when, when Jason Kidd was hired to, to coach the Nets fresh out of retirement. So some things I just feel like ESPN comes up with topics for the debate of discussion. Oh, yeah. And I think using race is a low hanging fruit in this situation because I mean, like, I, I just don't think it was something that needed to, to be brought up because like I say, Fisher had zero coaching experience and he got the Knicks job. I know the Knicks aren't as, talent to this team as the Nets, but you know, I, I don't think Doc Rivers had any coaching experience either when he got his head coaching job. I think he went from, straight from an analyst to Orlando. So it's happened before and just made a big conversation out of nothing in my opinion. Laker Tom, they did have a connection that they played two years together in Phoenix. Sean Marks, the GM, and Steve Nash Obviously, they, they knew each other, but again, it comes down to what Raphael and I are surmising is that somehow Kevin Gar uh, excuse me Kevin Durant and also Kyrie Irving both had to say, I think that would probably be the best way to go. And I'm sure that they, they were even surprised that Steve Nash wanted to have uh, some interest into becoming their next coach. You know, it's funny when uh, I, got, I got done from riding my bike in the garage and came out and first thing I saw was the headline that uh, Sean had posted it in Lakerholics.com. And I responded back and said, boy, what a great move by the Suns. Uh, <laughs> I, I just read right through the, right, read right through the nets and it didn't even, it didn't even register. And, and then I, and I, then I flip over to Twitter and I'm browsing and I see all of the notices that, Hey, surprise, it's really the nets, you know, so I had to go back and correct that. Uh, and, uh, I think it's an inspired choice, you know, um, and I'm sure that both of you guys are right that that uh, any smart general manager and Sean Marks is definitely a smart guy uh, would have run that by uh, run that by uh, Katie and and Kyrie before actually doing it. Um, I, I've always respected Steve Nash. He's a really intelligent guy. He reminds you know I think it's going to be one of those hires like Steve Kerr was. It's going to turn out to be, you know, a guy who knows how to manage people well, um, and and always was a clutch player. He he was a coach on the floor. Um, you know, it's a lot of these guys you see that, especially the guys that Raphael was just talking about, uh, and and you can expect the same with Rondo and so forth. These are guys who everybody understands and respects because of their basketball acumen. You know, they're these are guys that understand the game really well played it at a high level, understand how to how to relate to the players, um, have the respect of their peers as a player. Uh, and I think that's an important thing. You know, it's, it's remarkable when you think of some coaches like Spolstra uh, and Vogel, who really never really played the game at a high level, who've been able to earn that respect. Um, so I think that it was a great choice. Um, you know, the one thing I think about this whole racial thing, and, and I, I look at it a little differently, that that, you know, it's, it's great for some of these teams to go out and get somebody fresh and new. Um, and I feel sorry for some of the coaches who lost jobs unfairly uh, and are then considered to be recycled, uh, recycled choices just simply because the first time they didn't have a general manager or they, or they were like, you know, like, like Brett Brown. They were fired because of moves that the general manager didn't make rather than moves that they did in, in actually running the team. So, you know, I, 
some guys like Ty Lu seem to get multiple chances at it, and other guys, I'm sure there's other coaches who were excellent coaches and and didn't didn't get a good opportunity to get another shot at at being a head coach with, because they didn't make it through the first time. And it's very often, you know, basketball on the court and off the court is a team game. And right. you and you, you want if you're not on the right team and in, and in the right position to win, you can easily end up being a loser in the minds of a lot of people. So I feel sorry for some of the other coaches who may not get shots. Um, suddenly we have after last year, I think there were very few openings. And now all of a sudden we have a, a raft of people of new openings for coaches. So it'll be interesting to see who fills out these other jobs. Um, especially if, if D'Antoni and the Rockets fail, is, is D'Antoni really going to go to the Pacers? Um, how's that going to affect Oladipo's decisions, you know, and, and 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 I I agree with what Raphael said that you know, if I was a if I was a guy who had the ball in my hands in the game, I'd sure to love to have Mike D'Antoni as my coach, especially uh, in a contract year. <laughs> yeah, especially in a contract year is right. So uh, anyway, I think I think it's a great move. It really caught me off guard. I'd not heard anything about it, and not even the slightest rumor that that Steve was even interested. Um, yeah, I'm still a little biased against him for getting injured when he came to the Lakers and stealing a couple MVPs from Kobe. But, but uh, I could forgive him for that. Well, I, I think that um, the Nets were going to make a splash higher. I knew that they were going to bring in someone with a name to create an additional buzz. So I thought it was going to be Tyron Lue. And, you know, like you said, nobody really knew about Nash, but I think Durant did. I think their time in Golden State, I think they developed a relationship, and I, I think he knew. Or maybe he recommended, but then, you know, Nash had a relationship with Sean Marks also. So, um, and, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for Jacques Vaughn, at least, you know, financially. He ended up probably getting the salary of a head coach, and he still may have a lot of the head coaching duties. And uh, he really kind of rebounded after, you know, the the poor job that, well, I shouldn't say like it's his fault, like he did a poor job in Orlando, but, you know, he was fired from Orlando, which is a tough situation. I mean, Vogel was able to bounce back from Orlando. And so I think Jack Vaughn is in a very similar situation to what Tyron Lue was in Cleveland. He'll be, he'll get a good opportunity very much like Alvin Gentry did, you know, to resurrect his career. Uh, by when they hired Steve Kerr because they needed somebody with experience sitting by his side who was this sort of the associate head coach. Um, Gentry's actually, you know, one of the, I wrote an article a couple of few days ago where Gentry's one of the three moves I think the Lakers really need to make in order to make their offense as good as their defense. You know, I, I think Bogle needs some help on the offensive end, uh, a little more balance to, to, to not be always so predictable defensively and, and so slow to make changes and things. Um, and, I, and you know, you see a guy like Gentry, you know, uh, he had a tough situation there, and all of a sudden he's out of, out of that job. Um, uh, so it's interesting to see. The, the, there's a lot of good coaches out there. I mean, you look at this, 30 teams. You got 30 coaches, probably 30 of what might be the best, you know, uh, definitely of the best 100 coaches in the, in the world that are probably all of those guys fall in those ranks for some reason why somebody hired him for those jobs. And if you uh, survive so that you get a second chance or a, or a third chance like Vogel did, uh, you know, uh, or Ty Lue's going to get, uh, then it really says something about not only your resume, but what people think of you. I'll tell you what, it's yeah, going to be. I think, oh, go ahead. I was saying that I think Kenny Atkinson, Kidd, and Lou will be the coaches that fill the jobs. I did read that Chauncey Billups wants to wants to coach now. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to to see that also. Um, but then again, like we don't know with this with the Antonio situation. Yeah. I mean, if he's you know, they lose four oh, he's out of there. <laughs> he's 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 out of there right away. So that could be a, a job that opens up. But um yeah, like I said, I I don't have an issue with Nash getting the head coaching job. But I I do agree. I think Gentry to the Lakers would Makes sense, especially if Kid leaves, yeah. and Gentry 
I mean, he coached in LA before. He coached the Clippers, so he's familiar with uh, you know the whole area. He might still still even live there in the off season. So I think that would be a good move. Well, there you go. Steve Nash heads to Brooklyn. It's going to be interesting to see how this is going to play out. And will they become the dominant force in the Eastern Conference with Steve Nash at the helm? They are on a win-now scenario right there with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So we'll see how that plays out with Steve Nash as their head coach. For us, we're heading on out too here. But before we do, we want to go ahead and check in with Raphael and Laker Tom on what they're up to on their respective outlets. So before we head on out, Laker Tom, I'll start with you. What are you working on for Lakerholics.com? Um, I've always got a project going that uh, doesn't relate to the immediate games and, and something that I can work on, you know, just to get my mind off of the urgent things. And my current project is uh, why the Lakers uh, should not be pursuing Giannis as the free agent in 2021. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot to do with with fit, uh, how how he fits in, and none of this has to really do with his current performances, which I think have been a little bit subpar and and have shown some of the some of the weaknesses in his game. Although he's still only 25 years old, um, but I think fit is one issue. I think the opportunity cost of waiting for him is another issue. Reminds me a lot of waiting for Kawhi, uh, and you give up something when you do that, and then. We have a small championship window with LeBron James. How many more years is he going to be able to play at this level? I don't want to take another year and wait for a key free agent and hold on to cap space and so forth and sign guys to one-year contracts rather than making commitments. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why I feel that it's a mistake for the Lakers to pursue Giannis. Aside from also, I think that there are a couple of other teams that are probably in a better position for him to go to uh, that'll have more to offer that could be easily. And, you know, and then the only way you fit him is by getting LeBron or AD to take less money and you kick everybody else off the team. Uh, I, I think I think if, let's say LeBron wins one or two before his contract ends, I totally see him taking some minimum deal to get I think it's possible Trey Young who signed with Clutch <laughs> Trey Young would be the ideal complimentary piece you got another player huh it should be a guard shouldn't be a yeah. they need a guard I, I I see it happening I mean it at that point LeBron doesn't need money's not an issue it's all about having another opportunity to Say he built, continued his legacy perfectly with a CP3 trade too. Well, there yeah, you I mean, I, I I think somehow, some way that cap space comes free at that point in time. Yeah, they're they're going to get somebody that is going to be able to just make his role easier. I see him playing forty. I don't know. I see him playing maybe forty-one, forty-two. And he can play the the Magic Johnson role, the role that Magic played in his second stint with the Lakers. Yeah. He could do that for a long time. And then you surround him with AD and a couple of good defenders if he loses a step on defense. I mean, he might even end up being like a center, you know, <laughs> later on down the line. And yeah, I, I, he's going to be able to play until he decides that he doesn't want to play anymore. I mean... We're witnessing like a guy that just doesn't get hurt. I mean, the one year he did get hurt last year it was like one year out of what sixteen. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I don't, like I said, I think the Lakers are going to end up getting some big time one. You, you may not even have to make one of your your trade scenarios because I think LeBron is going to take one for the team and allow somebody to come in there and, and, and fill in that that slot and. Just kind of keep it going. That's something we would like to see most definitely. So Laker Tom's working on all that at Lakerholics.com. Raphael, what have you got cooking for NBA Draft Junkies before we head on out? Uh, Just uh, different videos. Um, I I think the next one I'll do is is Grant Riller. Um, I still owe Laker Tom a video. And I actually have it done for the most part. I just need to add, write the script for the the audio. I know he wants... uh, 
a stretch five for the Lakers. And uh, and and I think Demarcus Cousins is going to be their stretch five. So. I don't think you're going to find one in this draft. Yeah, um, oh, but maybe Najee, maybe a couple others. And but... I don't know if he stretches it enough right now. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know if he stretches it yeah. enough right now. So, yeah, Demarcus Cousins, in my opinion, is their stretch five. Oladipo and Gentry, those are my three uh, moves. Here we go with crazy Tom again, Oladipo. Why do you want a guy that just blew his quad? I just, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. That's one of the reasons he's available. He's also available because he's a very expensive individual that just blew his quad. Yeah, but we're not going to, nobody, no, nobody's going to accept what we have to trade for, for Bradley Beal or, you know, we're just not going to be in that ball game. But Oladipo is a guy who, who basically has, has some warts right now because he hasn't shown, you know, you just got it in faith at his best though. He's a six, four guard. So he's not a small guard. Uh, he's a great defender. He's one of the, he always is among the leaders in the league in steals and deflections and, and loose balls and so forth. So uh, he's, he's accessible and he's affordable. Well, he's going to be hopefully accessible to the Lakers if that's the case, but my gosh, I don't know. Uh, crazy Tom is at it again. If you want to hear all the crazy Toms, whether it's Victor Oladipo, whether it's Chris Paul coming to the Lakers, my gosh, we'll just go ahead and and have everybody come to the Lakers, according to Laker Tom. We're going to trade well, everybody gotta else. Op- you got to have options, Gerald. Uh, yeah, it's nice <laughs> to have options indeed. So, my goodness. But you can hear all the crazy stuff that, that Laker Tom has, plus his awesome other articles that he has when he's not trying to trade the entire team. You can find out all those great articles that he does have at LakerHolics.com. And remember, Raphael does a great job with all these draft profiles that you can see today at NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube. I'm showing everybody right there. Right there it is. It is NBA Draft Junkies. And again, LakerHolics.com. I'm showing it to you guys out there on Facebook Live as well. Well, guys, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game. The Lakers and Rockets, their series begins. I'm looking forward to it. Plus, also as well, we're going to have Miami and Milwaukee. Game three. Oh, my gosh. The plot thickens with that series as well. Could we see another last-second victory for Milwaukee? Or could we see a last-second victory for Miami this time? All I say is, Giannis, keep your hands off the shooter. That's all I say. You know, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting, and and I I put a tweet out about this. I think so far, this is in in all of my 50, 60 years of watching NBA basketball. This may be the start of what could be the greatest playoffs ever. And it's kind of interesting how without the fans and without the home court advantage, the games seem to be more exciting and seem to be coming down to, to really closer endings. You know, I mean, we've had so many great games that, I mean, I, my wife who never watches any of this stuff was just <laughs> enthralled as she watched the end of that game and watched with me three times as I replayed the, the, the winning game, winning play and shot and everything. And just was like, she was talking about it when she was taking her bath and I'm sitting there talking to her. And, you know, she's saying, wow, that was an incredible game. Um, so it's, you know, of course, the Lakers have to win for this to really fall into that <laughs> category for me. But but overall, uh, I have to say that uh, it's it's just been sensational. Yeah. I mean, the quality of the, the quality of the play, the effort that the players have been making and di- diving on the floor and the close plays and, and, and everything that's gone on. My God, you know, you said it, Rel, when you said it, Gerald. It was playoff, playoff heaven, man. I thought that was just sensational. Well, let's hope the- and the fact that guys are playing every other day yeah. after like a four month layoff, like they had to go from not playing at all to somewhat of a training camp. Some guys couldn't even get there on time because of whatever issues they had. A bubble seating didn't have. Yeah, and I mean, and at the, I think the. The most impressive thing is a lot of us, well, I shouldn't say us, but I know for me, I thought, all right, if a team is down 0-2, how willing are they going to be competing? Yeah. Because go they've been in the, 
Yeah, they well, they've been in the bubble at least 60 days now. And guys are, are not playing like they want to go home. New Orleans is the only team that I felt like. What's that? Toronto. I mean, that's just incredible when you think of that. Those yeah. guys, those guys should have, you know, there was a points in that fourth quarter where they were behind six, seven points. You would have expected them to just quit. Denver, uh, same thing, down 3-1. Oklahoma City was down. Were they down 3-1 too? Also? Yeah. So, it's been great. Even the Nuggets coming back from down 3-1. This is all, and we're only in the second round. You know, we're just finishing. We're just going into the second round. Well, let's hope hope that this excitement continues for the NBA playoffs. But I'll tell you what, Rafael Barlow will be back once again each and every night out for the NBA playoffs. It's going to be exciting indeed. Laker Tom, I'm sure, will be joining us tomorrow for the wrap-up on the Lakers game versus the Rockets. Game one is tomorrow. Any questions for us at Lakers Fast Break or Lakers Fast Break at Yahoo.com. Rafael Barlow is at Barlow 500 or at NBA Draft Junkies. And of course, Laker Tom for all his crazy trades, but his awesome articles are is at Laker Tom. All right, guys, just been great talking to you again. Looking forward to tomorrow's game right here at the Lakers Fast Break.